Welcome to Coastal Front. Join us each week as we sit down with the movers and shakers of Vancouver to discuss stories of business, politics, accomplishment, and failure. Our aim is to keep you dialed into what matters most in our city. Now, here's your host, Andrew Johns. My guest is Bruce McLeod, a professional engineer and chief executive officer of Sabina Gold and Silver. He's also the founder of both Sherwood Copper Corp and Stornoway Diamond Corp, and has worked as the CEO for a handful of other mining companies in the past. The demand for precious metals has skyrocketed on the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. Across the globe, investors are actively diversifying their portfolio into gold despite soaring stock markets. What an exciting time to be joined by a true mining expert who brings over 30 years of experience to the boardroom today. Bruce, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. So let's dive right into Sabina Gold and Silver. We are going to spend some time talking about the, the gold industry, but I think a good backdrop to that is talking about your company in particular, your Canadian-based miner. Let's hear the story. Well, we are uh, what we call a developer, so not quite a producer, but certainly more advanced than your, your average explorer. And uh, we have a very large resource, um, 5.2 million ounces uh, in measured and indicated, which are you know uh, reserves, and, and another 2 million ounces of inferred on top of that for a total of a little over 7 million ounces at 6 grams. And 6 grams uh, is very high grade, particularly that in our feasibility and our technical reports, 72% of our uh, production in that feasibility is, is, is from open pits. And six grams, uh, o- six gram open pits would put us amongst the highest grade uh, undeveloped open pits in the world. Wow! And, and just to be clear on location, because sure. Canada is a big country, it is. You're way up north. We and we're in the middle of uh, of nowhere. Okay. Um, and you know, certainly that is the the opportunity and the challenge. The opportunity being that we have an entire district that we own a hundred percent. Uh, and that's an 80 kilometer long uh, banded iron formation, which is the host rock to the to the gold deposits. And uh, uh, you know, there's very few other places in Canada that we, you could be the sole owner. It, you know, if this were in other greenstone uh, belts, um, it would be fragmented ownership. Uh, you know, Timmins and, and and areas like that where you probably have you know several hundred uh, uh, claim owners. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the challenge is certainly and and, in the, and we're in talking about the territory of Nunavut, right? In Nunavut, yeah, and, okay. and we like to call it southwestern Nunavut. Okay, so, so. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly sounds better. Yeah, and uh, but you know, the challenge is certainly infrastructure and logistics. Okay, if if this were a road accessible. Uh, on the Trans Canada within power, I guarantee these would be nothing but a series of uh, of, of of mined out uh, deposits. Right. Um, and you know, one of the things that we've done to bring ourselves forward and and to advance this project more than 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 most developers would is we have actually had to build uh, and operate the logistics and supply chain uh, uh, lines uh, all the way from southern Canada uh, to our site. So that's building a port, building winter ice roads, uh, airstrips, um, uh, camps. And, and certainly that's taken a significant amount of, of, of cash to get us there. But, you know, what we have is, is like every other uh, uh, challenge that we've, we've, we've faced with this company, we've been able to overcome and, and also show that, uh, you know, we're, we're capable operators and uh, capable of operating in, in, in these areas. Okay. And, you know, the other thing that uh, certainly sets apart a uh, our company between uh, other than size and grade is, is also we're fully permitted now. And, you know, for us, that was almost five years and, and probably $40 million of investment 
to not only get our, our permits for construction and now operating, mm -hmm. uh, but also uh, to be able to obtain social license, which, you know, is, is a uh, certainly a, a bigger part of this job and a bigger challenge for our industry than it's ever been. I've never heard that term, social license, before, but that's a good analogy or a good uh, uh, summary of what that means. I think for those listeners who maybe don't understand how the the gold mining evolution works from a piece of land that's never been tested before to full production of a mine. There's a lot of obviously major uh, hurdles you have to get over and, and there's some big milestones, but one of them is permitting. Is that not right, Bruce? Oh, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of jurisdictions where permitting isn't a challenge, but uh -huh. you know, in most of those jurisdictions, uh, uh, security of title isn't right. uh, very secure either. Yeah. So, you know, it's an inverse uh, 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 correlation between you know permitting risk, permitting challenges, permitting timeline, permitting cost, and security of title. So, what we can say is not only do we have you know the best security of title. You know a Canadian asset. Yes. Um, and uh, but also um, the best uh, in terms of uh, uh, social license. In that we've been able to show um, uh, and and prove to not only uh, the regulators but also the Inuit uh, that are are the surface rights holders yeah. that we are able to uh, to build and operate and uh, under a, 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 a set of rules that we've agreed on together. Yeah, great. Now, that's a good segue into uh, what I wanted to ask you about, which is First Nations. And it's always a, uh, you know, a sensitive and, and big topic when it comes to things like building out a mine production in Canada, um, because they, they, they're quite a large group and a very strong group. And they have a lot of, um, you know, in fairness, a lot of important rights. Um, how have you, what, maybe you can talk a bit about that community and how have you worked with that group and have you, uh, it seems like you got buy-in from them. So that's, that's a really good thing. Well, you know, we're, we're very lucky to, to operate a Nunavut. Okay. And part of it is, is Nunavut, a hundred percent of the land claims have been settled. Yeah. You know, one of the challenges okay. that uh, many miners and explorers have in the rest of Canada is you may have three or four overlapping, uh, indigenous land claims and, it's 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 not the company's job to decide who's right and who's wrong. So you right. better work with all of those. So when we're working in an area that that right and those titles are are, are well defined and yeah. well understood and and uh, uh, not subject to any query, is um, we are dealing with an area that were grandfathered um, uh, 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 federal uh, claims, but the Katikmiot Inu Association is our landowner and owns the surface rights. And Nunavut is Canada's newest territory. And what they did is when they set up the permitting uh, regime is, is they really focused it around and built it around those settled land claims and, and what the rights are. So it's not subject to negotiation mm -hmm. in terms of, 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 of those uh, criteria. It is subject to negotiation of, 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 of Inuit impact uh, benefits agreements. And certainly a group that uh, that understands the sector, mm -hmm. and uh, we, you know, we we uh, are we we understand their requirements, and we're starting to uh, better understand all the time is is what we have to be to be good corporate citizens, yeah, uh, and working within their uh, communities. And there's five affected communities. The closest community is 250 kilometers away, but you know that the is closest the closest wow. community. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the closest large community. We do have yeah. a, about 170 kilometers from the from the mine. We have a, a small seasonal community. Yeah. Um, less than a dozen people, but uh, it, it those those are well defined and uh, and and well understood, 
and it uh, certainly helps uh, uh, going forward because a lot of that uncertainty to to land claim settlement, which is certainly more important to to uh, to uh, to a lot of these groups than than the than the short term jobs, and uh, you know it's a it's a challenge that people are facing all across Canada. Today. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, that's great. Now, here's your website. This is uh, SabinaGoldSilver.com, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a we can see the image of uh, is that is that your uh, Back River Gold look. Camp there that we saw. That, yes, it is. It, it is. Uh, okay. That's uh, that's the tundra in the uh, in the. It's a beautiful uh, red. You know, it, it is when you get that later in the uh, in in the summer and early in the autumn. Uh, some some wonderful colors. There's really only one color um, for about six months of the year. And it's, <laughs> it's white. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's certainly a a, a wonderful place uh, to work. And on the right there, is that the landing strip? For yes, your, it is. Okay. That is the the existing strip, and and one of the things is right now is actually you, you see that uh, there's a photo of a seven thirty seven landing. That's a big our, plane. Our our our, our uh, gravel strip isn't actually long enough to land that, so we actually land those in the winter time only on on the ice on the lakes. Really? Yeah. A seven thirty seven lands yeah, on okay. a lake and or Hercules uh, heavy lift aircraft. <laughs> so actually, one of the things that we're doing uh, this summer is we're actually extending that strip so we can actually put in seven thirty sevens and Hercs uh, year round. So again, building wow. up that infrastructure and logistics as we move forward to to being a producer. Yeah. What is the challenge with uh, I mean landing an aircraft on a frozen lake Don't hit of the that brakes. size? Don't, Don't hit the <laughs> <laughs> just just tap them gently. Yeah, yeah. You know, re- wow. Rely on your on your thrusters. You know the the good thing is the people that land on these it's it's second nature to them. It, sure. Is, uh, is uh, yeah, these they, could probably, are... they, could, they could probably do it on, on on a paved strip with their eyes closed. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. The b- bigger challenge is actually weather whiteouts and uh, and that uh, rather yeah. than 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 the physical. Is there someone up at camp there year round? No, um, no. We uh, we operate uh, seasonally. Uh, we have operated all months of the year, and uh, uh, but uh, during uh, you know particularly in construction, uh, what you try and do is is move everything forward uh, early in the year and, and work until you know it it, it is dark uh, you know three and a half to four months of the yeah, year. Yeah, sure. Um, but you know, like many other uh, uh, people in 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 uh, in, in the world is we've been affected by uh, COVID-19 too. And we were just in the midst of mobbing uh, our crews in to, uh, to start a program in March. And it, it became apparent that um, our, our crews weren't focused on the job at hand. They were worried yeah. about their safety, their family's family. safety. Yeah. And the last thing you want is an accident with people not thinking about the task at hand. Um, and we were worried, quite frankly, that if, if we did get a case in camp, because we're bringing people from all across Canada, yeah, we sure. could be the proverbial cruise ship um, and nobody would want to take us to port. Yeah. So, you know, we made a decision that based on the safety of our people, it was time to defer the program. Yeah. And we're just getting ready to mow uh, back in. And, uh, you know, one thing I can't say is, is uh, you know, Canada has certainly done a much better job than many other nations in, in, uh, in controlling uh, the spread and uh, we certainly feel much safer and understand it but you know we've got to take a lot of precautions in terms of the the number of men, uh, uh, of people we can have in camp yeah um you know what we have to do for screening before we bring people in um it it, it it's uh it's just another layer of of, of safety that uh, that we have to be uh, uh, sure of yeah outside of uh covid 19 in environment how many people would we typically find in camp uh during that period of march or april as you're setting up well, it depends on what we're doing. If we're okay. if we're drilling, it could be forty or fifty people. If we're if we're doing, you know, the programs that we are doing this year is we fill every bed in that camp that we can, and and 
part of the challenge right now is camp loading is, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, in terms of uh, maximum number of people, we're limited to about 90 people uh, this season. Yeah. Um, Still yeah. a lot of people. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your, your main project is called the Back River Gold Project. And uh, one of the things that you mentioned when we first started talking uh, was that you mentioned making make, made reference to making an ice road. And we've talked about landing one of these massive aircraft on a on a, on a lake. What's involved in so for the, those kind of layman's terms for someone who's never been this far up north? I've been fortunate enough to been up pretty close to where you're at, and I've been on an ice road, so I know what it looks like. And what? It, but can you talk a bit about the challenges of making ice road? Is it pretty straightforward? Is it? It is relatively straightforward. Is is the challenge? Is is the uh, for us is uh, in the time that is best to build it. It's also you know uh, the coldest uh, uh, time of the year. Yeah, it's dark twenty four seven. You get a little twilight on the edges. Um, you know, you get uh, the later in the year you go is 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 generally we get our snow in kind of February and March. Um, and uh, that road can drift in in a matter of hours. Um, it, uh, you know, the one thing that we have an advantage over, you know, the, the, probably the most famous uh, winter ice road in mining is the Tibet to Contoido ice road. And that was the one that was originally built to service the Lupin Gold Mine, which is, uh, that was a 600 kilometer ice road uh, from, wow. uh, from Yellowknife. We're versus, we're, we're, uh, versus about 170 for us. Um, but that's the one that still services the uh, the Akadi and Diavik uh, and uh, and Mountain Province uh, Gaucho Kwe diamond mines, and um, uh, when they start, they actually have to build ice on the lakes to be able to make sure they're, they're thick enough that they a, bring pickups and and then bring you know light uh, 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 trucks and then partially loaded semis until full loads. Is it, we're, we're colder where we are, and uh, uh, the most southerly part of our winter ice road is 250 kilometers north of their most northerly part so it, building ice isn't the challenge it's really in those areas that don't have enough snow is we have to build snow fence uh, let the snow drift in water that snow it turn it into ice um, the so the portages the area that are over land yes. are the most challenging part you can build 10 or 20 kilometers on lakes and and uh, and the ocean in a day where you may be 250 or 500 meters a day on uh, on on some of the portages oh wow yeah well that's fascinating yeah does there much wildlife up there you know we, we do have a fair amount of uh, uh wildlife the uh, uh, the number one is uh, is caribou uh, yeah in the area and uh Around the mine, uh, not so much, but uh, uh, between the, the our port facility and the mine, is uh, we do get uh, a, a fair amount of caribou. Most of those uh, are in the spring, and they're part of the migration. So, um, you know, one of the things that uh, we have done is put uh, in place. Uh, I think it's it's one of the most uh, modern, proactive uh, uh, caribou mitigation uh, uh, plans that uh, that uh, anybody has in the north. You've been in the space forever. Uh, when I just before we I came into the office here, I see that gold was at uh, basically flat today. It was about seven. We we're just over seventeen hundred dollars an ounce. Um, and uh, your guys' share price uh, closed up a little bit today at dollar uh, seventy three. You just did a financing re uh, recently. It's, I think it was a thirty million dollar raise, if I recall. Sixty one million dollars. Sixty one. Sorry, apologize. Sixty one. Sixty one. But there's, there's been a lot of interest in, in gold mm -hmm. and gold companies. Um, what do you see happening right now in the space? And what's how is it different than, say, 
a couple of years ago, maybe it'll go back four or five years ago when there wasn't really a huge amount of interest. I mean, the price has moved, moved up quite a bit in the last five years. Well, our feasibility, which was done in 2015, was done uh -huh. at $1,150 an ounce uh, Canadian, and it showed a very economic project versus today over $1,700. And certainly we've seen uh, another big change in terms of Forex between the Canadian and the US dollar. It was, uh, yeah, 80, that's right. it, it was 80 so cents versus, uh, you know, uh, you know, probably 20% more yeah. than that today. So so you've seen almost a doubling from when you did your feasibility study in Canadian dollar prices. In Canadian, in Canadian prices. dollars, uh, it, it's not a double, but it's, it's, it's getting close to it. Getting close, yeah. And, uh, you know, certainly where we've seen a lot of the interest is in, in the physical, in the, in, the, in the physical ETFs. Yeah. Um, is uh, today uh, debt to GDP ratio is 322%. Uh, they're printing money and they're printing more money, uh, 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 certainly uh, uh, from COVID. And, and really gold is the only currency. And, and look, there are other things that people show as alternatives. Um, uh, I wouldn't call Bitcoin a currency because the difference between Bitcoin and gold is every central bank in the world acknowledges gold, not every uh, acknowledges uh, uh, other alternative uh, holdings. Mm -hmm. And gold is really the only currency that you can't print. So I think that it, there's only a finite amount of amount of it on the planet. How much that is, we don't know exactly, but it's not like, uh, yeah, it's like you said, you're not, you can't just, you definitely can't print it like the Federal Reserve is printing dollars right now. That's <laughs> no, for that, sure. That would be impossible. Yeah. And you know, what we have seen is, is also when we talk about, you know, higher gold price, well, look, what about all these new mines coming on stream? Well, we've seen a decade of a little investment in this sector. Right. And it used to be 10 years from discovery till first gold pour till you're in production. Okay. Um, you know, we were five years just on our, our, our permitting alone. And, and you can't permit unless you have a feasibility study, which means you defined a resource, which you subsequently defined as a reserve um, and, and scoped the project. It is today, if you want that security of title, it's a, it's a 15 year plus uh, exercise. Right. So, you know, what we've seen is that that lack of uh, 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 commitment in the sector to um, uh, to expiration. And that doesn't mean that the miners aren't uh, being, uh, aren't committed. They've actually done other things is I think that, you know, they were in a better situation. I think that the, the miners are in a better situation than they have been in many past cycles is, uh, you know, they paid down a debt. Um, they've been certainly, uh, uh, a lot more conservative when it comes to M&A. You actually see M&A deals where, where companies do transactions and they trade up. Um, uh, but, you know, there's a finite number of, depo uh, of deposits that are meaningful and meaningful, you know, something like Back River that can produce 250,000 ounces a year. Right. And there's very few of those discoveries that are there. And even when they are a discovery, it's, it's going to be years until they could actually be mines. Yeah. And we're in the position now that within three years um, uh, upon uh, making that production decision that uh, we can be producing. About three years from now, you estimate. You know, we still have to make that production decision, but I think yeah. we're getting very close. And I think a lot of it is, is uh, you need uh, you need the the markets on side because yeah. you know the debt markets are there; they're they're available, particularly to gold. Um, but the equity markets have been closed, and you know what we've shown for this last financing is is they're certainly opening up, and and particularly for quality projects like ours. Yeah, I can only imagine if we were having this conversation a year ago, how different it would be. 
uh, or especially two years ago, because um, you know I, I'm not as involved in the mining space as you are every day, Bruce. But I do go to PDAC every year, and I always, I always use that as a bit of a gauge for myself on an annual basis. I've been going for almost a decade now mm-hmm. um, to see you know what the sort of um, sentiment is. Now this year, of course, it was totally weird. Um, because yeah. of COVID was just kind of coming into North America and it was yes, definitely it was. hitting the planet. So I'll skip this year, but last year and the year before that, there, there was it was dismal. I mean, it was like, I mean, this year has been a year where if you have the name gold in your name and you got a decent business, good management and a, and a good, good project, I think you can do well like you guys have done. Um, and it hopefully is a sign for other miners to be able to, you know, to raise funds as well. Um, but if you look back, say three years ago or four years ago, it must've been a pretty tough go for you guys. Well, look, I, when you have a quality project, is is um, you know you're going to survive. I think yeah. you, you you do have to be conservative at times, and you know if it's really in in my mind quite simple is if you spend you know a million dollars on your project and you can't show plus a million dollars of market capitalization after that, um, it's probably not the time to be spending money. Um, yeah. Now, there's certain things that you have to once you start permitting. You can't stop because it's not something that you can start stop. You, you generally, on a lot of those, is is you lose the there's commitment levels. There's, there's commitment levels. Okay, um, but uh, you know when it comes to exploration or development, um, if you're not going to create value with that spend, um, you have to think hard about it at, at, at the strategic and board level. Yeah, well, this actually is a you almost kind of answered my next question, which is for for those people who are listening that maybe don't have much or any exposure to. Uh, a gold in or gold companies in their investment portfolio today, and they wanted to look at that, and they didn't want to just look at the big producer names. They want to get a bit of a lift. They want to take a, take a bit more of a risk and and going with a a medium size. Would you call yourselves a medium size? You're still considered a junior. I mean, you're almost well, you're you over know, half think, a billion think, dollar cap. Yeah, I, but it's still a junior in, yeah. in in the business. Yeah. And look, I think that. Um, the question is, by the way, Bruce, what, what do you, as an investor, what would you recommend they look for? What are the kind of signs? Without speaking, obviously, you're biased towards Sabina. I think I am too. But if we were to just say, you know, to the investors out there, if you're looking to invest in a gold junior, what are the kind of main highlights? What are the things you want to be looking for? Well, there's probably four different uh, areas that people can look at. It. Okay. There, those that want, I think that, that many that are followers of the sector realize that in gold bull markets, gold equities will outperform gold bullion. Two yes, or three times exactly. So if, if both are rising, yeah, generally the gold equities will outperform the the uh, 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 physical gold. Now what we've had is, and that's uh, a very true statement, folks. I mean, I'm a big advocate of that. I've personally not ever bought physical gold. I'm a big fan of buying gold companies. Mm-hmm. And I and I believe that look in a conservative uh, fashion, it's probably worth having a bit of a barbell approach. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, is is take some of the gold uh, uh, physical and the rest yeah. into that. And then you get, you know, at the... At the I've, at, I bought my wife jewelry. Okay. Yeah, 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 we, all, we all have. <laughs> That's one of the reasons gold keeps going up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is, um, uh, look, I think in the early stages, uh, coming out of a long bear market in, 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 in gold, is the first one uh, to buy and the first ones that get revalued are the majors. If we look at Ignico, we look at Barrick, we look at Anglo. Right. You know, they've had they've had wonderful runs. Yeah. Uh, if we look in this year, is is gold has outperformed the S and P? And remember, you know, the S and P is still you know it's above levels in, in uh, that it, that it has uh, seen in quite a while. If we look over in twelve months, 
gold is is far exceeded S and P in terms of returns, uh, in 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 both the GDX and and, and in terms of physical mm-hmm. uh, compared as compared to the S and P. And just for listeners, GDX is the ETF, right? The, the, it's the that, global, that is global. the senior. Uh, yeah. Well, they call yeah. it the 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 the, the senior yeah. is, and then there's the GDXJ, which is more the junior component, right? Of which you know one of the challenges is in terms of liquidity, in terms of size, there's very few that actually meet the true criteria. Yeah, you know, companies like Kinross are still in the GDXJ, which is certainly a major. Yeah, um, is Sabino on any ETF? Uh, 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 we're indexes? on some of the small ones. Small. We're not in the GDXJ. I, yeah. I, you know, every time a rebalancing comes out, I I, I look for our name. Uh, you know, yeah. I think that uh, you know I've got to say you know again I am biased. I go, well, we're, <laughs> we've got a better asset than those. <laughs> yeah, than yeah, that. Exactly. Why, why are they in? So yeah. you know, it's uh, there is an, it's an algorithm that uh, yeah. you know certainly has got nothing to do with uh, anything but 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 market cap and liquidity is yeah. is, is is where their inclusions uh, sit. Um, but I think there's a, a there's a always there's a barbell approach. Um, you know, some of the majors, particularly in the early parts of the uh, uh, of, of, of gold uh, bull runs. Um, the next stage is certainly in the mid tiers and, and the junior producers. And uh, then it gets to the expiration companies. Mm-hmm. And look, there's a lot of people that have done very well by being able to buy uh, buying baskets of the explorers that, that if they're successful can be, you know, 10 or 20 times. But if they're not successful, that can also be uh, uh, you know, it's very easy calculation. It was a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, look, I think right now, uh, I, again, I am, uh, 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 biased that it's really the developers I think are going to have, uh, uh, a significant run in that the one thing that if you look at all the majors, all the mid tiers, and then certainly the junior producers is because of the lack of reinvestment, is their production profiles are not sustainable without either doing M and A or yeah, or, sure. or exploring and developing their own their own uh, new deposits. Yeah, and look, many of the the majors are good explorers, um, but many aren't. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, is really where all roads meet is is the good developers. And there's probably never been fewer than there is today. Mm-hmm. I think there there will be a, a significant uh, re-rating as uh, as they move up the chain towards towards production. Mm-hmm. Bruce, you've been in this business for 30 plus years, right? Is that a fair statement? I've had two jobs. I've had a paper route and I've been in the mining business. So <laughs> okay. it's, uh, uh, and, I, and I, I haven't had a paper route for a while. <laughs> for a while. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so with respect to raising capital and looking at raising money today, my, I mean, I've been, in, I've been in the financial services business for 21 years myself. And when I started, even before I started, I, my, my uncle who got me into the business worked at a small shop called Global Securities years ago. Um, his name's also Bruce, my uncle Bruce. And I used to see junior miners uh, be able to raise money, not, you know, with not too much difficulty by a lot of like individual investors. Mm-hmm. And it seems like today that just doesn't happen. It's like if you don't have some major institutional investors kind of funding that deal, it's really hard to get it off the ground. Um, it just doesn't seem like today it's because the ba- I, here's my biased view. I think the banks have encroached on this market. They've taken a lot of um, you know people who'd be willing to take a risk on a on a mid-sized name like a Sabina, and they've taken them and put them into some you know plugged in mutual fund type investment and they're no longer kind of engaging with and they, they don't have a so-called stockbroker anymore they just have a financial representative at their bank that gets them into this balanced portfolio of some type and that's it and it seems like that must be is that a fair observation oh it's it's, it's absolutely fair but okay. it's, it's it's so i'm i'm third generation of a mining family oh are you 
And oh. uh, my father was in the business and, you know, he probably sat in this office here and, and uh, <laughs> you know, Peter Brown was a, a sponsor of his uh, in, in, in the old days. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I was talking history of financing and uh, the first mine that my father built was in 1973. Okay. Well, in 1973, there wasn't such a thing as mutual funds. Right. Yeah, sure. So, you know, the, uh, you know it, uh, it, you had stockbrokers who chose back the baskets of stocks for their clients based on, you know, their needs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was just starting to move into managed money and, and, and mutual funds. And, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of came to this conclusion that, um, at the in the early days, as you had uh, no mutual funds playing the sector, the only people that were actually financing were the uh, the, the Peter Browns uh, of the world and 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 the balance of of you know the 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 independent broker dealers. Yes, and the stock picker who were the stock broker who actually could make an analysis and decide what was a was a good investment and certainly didn't have. Uh, um, the regulation today telling you what you can and you can't recommend to your clients, and and then what happened is you, you built a project to the point uh, uh, that it was something that was uh, that was real. And then you'd have joint ventures with uh, with majors. You've had earn-ins, and then when it came time to build it, it was really you'd have to borrow the money. And and again, the first mine that my father built it, it uh, Tech was an early sponsor, took part of the uh, a lot of the early financings, and then he borrowed the money from Royal Bank of Canada to build it. Well, what's funny is we're almost at that same spot today because although there are mutual funds, there's not many of them today that, that invest in, in certainly in, in grassroots expiration. So it's still the the the, the stock the sponsor brokers who who pick these stories. Yes. Um, and then we've seen more money in the last three to five years um, coming from majors in terms of uh, financing when things get a little bit interesting. And what's happened is is the banks have been really placed with private equity. So we're almost back to where we were in the 70s and how oh, we interesting. finance these. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what ha happens is, you know, so much of the money that is out there today has been chasing uh, uh, low fee uh, ETF. Um, and and uh, so it's a really been a fee driven business. Yes. But one thing I can tell you in this sector is I would never trust my money to an algorithm saying that I should buy these mining stocks, particularly of the junior and the emerging ones. Yeah, sure. There, there's yeah. just so many things that an algorithm so many, isn't going to, that so many factors yeah, that it so will many not take into yeah. account. And I believe that when you come into a market like this, is the the uh, the active uh, funds, you know, the, yes. the, the, active the fund trading. manager, active 100%. trading. Um, my prediction is, is if, if we end up with a gold price today or where we are or higher a year from now, is if you look at the ETFs and their return, versus the the actively managed funds, yeah. you're going to see a significantly higher return from those. And when we see that happening, is and they get inflows, is all of a sudden we'll see back to a healthy uh, market again in our sector. Yeah. So it, it's one of those, it, it, it truly is, uh, uh, you know, only the fittest survive. And what we've had is uh, uh, very few companies that have been able to advance a project. And we've spent $300 million on taking Back River from, from a, a concept to where it is today. Yeah. And um, uh, having that financial aptitude and the ability of knowing when to raise capital, what to spend it on, when to, to, to take your foot off the gas, maybe tap the brake, um, I think is, is something that's very important uh, in, uh, in, in times that are uncertain. Uh, but I think that we certainly uh, are in an environment today that feels 
uh, much better than it has in uh, in a decade. Yeah, absolutely. And I am a big uh, I, a big believer of both passive and, inv- and active investing at all times. But I the way I focus with my with our clients is we swing back and forth as far as the weighting is concerned. So I believe that every investor should have a certain amount of capital in what I call perpetual hold positions. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are times like right now that we're really putting our foot down the gas when it comes to active trading because I think it's the only time in which, because you can, you know, Peter Lynch proved this years ago that, uh, you know, I think it was from the era of, I think it was like 1970, early 70s to late like early 80s where he had you know we were in a range bound market the dow basically didn't move for almost a decade well, this guy made fortunes for himself and his investors by basically just buying low and selling high but but not just the de- the day trading was not a thing back then it was about finding good companies and getting on that momentum at the right time in the right Val- sector value trading yeah exactly yeah um so now that I know you're a third generation miner and you're also born and raised here in Vancouver, I'd love to raised, ha- raised here. Oh, raised, raised here. Raised where, where were you born? I was born in Alberta. In Alberta. Okay. Um, so my, my dad was on a mining job, and my mother went back to uh, her family in <laughs> okay. Alberta the, uh, uh, when I was born. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, but you grew up here in Vancouver. Yes. And this has been a hotbed for mining activity uh, from a financing perspective. There seems to be an. an uh, an incredible amount of mining companies based in Vancouver, but projects all around the world, not just in different parts of Canada. Do you have any kind of, for those who maybe haven't really followed the mining space, get a, an idea as to, you know, why has Vancouver become that? And what was it? Maybe do you have an idea of why the reason was? And is it still is it still a kind of hotbed today? Uh, I believe that the stat is that Canada, I think, has more publicly listed companies, publicly listed mining companies on the TSX and TSX Venture than any other exchanges in the world, I think, is the case. The reason is, is we've really built up a a center of excellence. It's not only like, you know what, British Columbia is a great place to live. Yeah. um, And we have many great deposits in British Columbia, but it's not because we have the greatest deposits in the world that we have a, a, a mining center of excellence. Right. It's because we have the infrastructure to support them. Okay. So we have the accountants. We yes. have the uh, engineering true. companies. Yeah. We have the legal teams. Right. We have one of the few uh, junior exchanges that is 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 got a lot of rules and it's and it's and it's well regulated. Um, and it, look, it, it, it is that the TSX venture you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, or I'm you, talking okay. more about the venture is yeah. because that's really where the the numbers come from. It's not because we have the most TSX uh, 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 companies in the world. It's really a venture. It's yeah. the, it's that farm team. Yeah. And as as we know, such a great it, analogy, farm team. I love it. Yeah. It, it is. It is a farm team. Yeah. And and to have. Uh, not, not everybody makes it in the big leagues, yeah. um, so you certainly have to have far more uh, uh, players that uh, are, are think that they're going to make it than, than those that actually do, and yeah. it, it's a rarity to make it to, to, to across that line. But it's really having the infrastructure to be able to support those, and uh, you know we import people from uh, all over the world. Um, you know, the uh, uh, UBC certainly has, has got a great uh, uh, mining engineering and geology department. Yeah. But, you know, there's many others that uh, do in the U.S., Canada, and, and worldwide. Yeah. And, you know, it's also a good jumping off point for travel, particularly Latin America and, and, and other areas. Um, and it's one of the few areas that you can actually raise, you know, meaningful money for, for exploration projects and development. And, you know, it, it, it is not... Uh, 
a business that it used to be that you know you could do a meaningful uh, program for one or two hundred thousand dollars is it's millions of dollars at a time for for significant projects yeah and significant <laughs> drill programs and this is one of the few places that actually has all of the parts that uh, are able to, to raise that capital so I think that I think it's very important that government uh, uh, realize that not only the jobs that are here in Vancouver that support that, but with the spin-off jobs is how much we really uh, uh, contribute to the economy of British Columbia. Yeah, that's a really good point. And um, I, that's a good, uh, that's a good uh, um, segue into w- one of the things I noticed at PDAC this year was this massive protest. I mean, they always have protesters almost every year, but this one was pretty big this year. Yeah, they were there pretty yeah, steady. Pretty, they were pretty solid. And uh, I always find it ironic that people are like taking nice pictures on their iPhones that are made full of metals that, you know, and probably traveled there on a go train from their suburb location out in Toronto to go protest about the mining activity. Look, there's some justification behind, so there's been some bad players and some bad events that have happened in the mining space. I think a lot of people don't realize that that's probably those environmental hazards and things that have happened have been largely outside of Canada from my observation. But um, how do you conduct yourselves in a way that makes sure that you know investors know that you're not going to be the next, I mean, well, I, I will name one. The one mine here is the Mount Pauly mine, I think it was Imperial Metals. Um, and they had the tailings pond that broke. Mm-hmm. Um, so you obviously have regulations you need to sort of adhere by, but uh, I don't know if those are enough to, are they are they strict enough to be able to, for an investor go, you know what, I don't need to worry about whether Sabina's being a good corporate citizen because the government's there looking out on my behalf, or is there is there something more that we need to look at? Look, the rules continually change. Remember, that isn't a tailings facility that was built uh, in the last decade. Um, it was built uh, under our prior rules, and certainly they've been beefed up uh, and uh, since then in terms of you know, uh-huh. geotech and, and third-party review and, and government third-party review. Um, look, I think the in, in certainly in Canada is uh, the number of safe operations and those that are environmentally responsible and do not have significant impact versus those few that do. You know, we're trying to reduce that to zero, zero harm for everyone. Yeah. And one of the things that's very important today, and a term that a decade ago you didn't hear of in the mining business, and actually in investing at all, was ESG, right? Environmental and social governance. And in today, that is at the top of people's minds. And there are a, a growing number of, of uh, institutional investors that look at your ESG scorecard and decide right. whether we're going to invest in that company depending on, on, on what they do. And things like, you know, tailings, ponds, facilities, you know, commitment to, uh, 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 to the people, not only their health and their safety, but to the environment. Um, those things are important. And if we look at ESG on a global scale, is the one thing that is certainly uh, a big benefit is the Canadian miners have been in cutting edge on that because we've had to. We're working in areas that are generally more remote, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, pristine areas that uh, that haven't been uh, uh, affected by by modern development. Yeah. And so we've been uh, on the forefront, I think, of, of developing, you know, good ESG practices. So, um, you know, sometimes you feel that we don't get the credit for that, but at the end of the day, is is we've got to push, keep pushing harder, and keep doing better, and until pe- people do recognize that we are one of the best industries in the world when it comes to environmental and social governance. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a good answer, and I do think that's a good point for listeners to, to understand is that 
Uh, look, at the end of the day, unless you're going to stop riding your bike and taking pictures on your phone, mining activity has to continue as long as global growth is happening. And uh, it's in the same analogy that the a lot of the here a lot of people in the oil patch say is like, well, would you rather get our oil from Alberta or from Saudi Arabia, who's known for major human rights uh, infractions? And I kind of take the same view with uh, when it comes to mining. Um, I like to know that at least you know the mining companies here in Canada are going to be held to a higher standard than they may be. Abroad, not to say the ones that are abroad operating projects abroad aren't, but uh, you know you've got your own social governance internally, but then you've got it on top with the with the, with the regulations. On the note of regulations, being in this business as long as you have, Bruce, is there any regulatory uh, shift or change that's happened that you are quite critical of that you could speak of? That you say, you know what, this has gone too far, or it's a little over the top, and you know it doesn't need to be as as difficult for us miners um, than it would have been, say, five or ten or longer years ago or longer. Look, is, is if we look at a lot of these changes, any new laws, rules, regulations, um, I think there's very few people in business to say, "Wow, we really needed that." Um, but at the end of the day, I think you've got to be pragmatic and you've got to recognize, you know, what what is good and, and some of the things that maybe just because we've done it this way or 10 or 20 years that uh, it doesn't mean that we should continue. Okay. Look, I think that, that you know, particularly in Canada, I'd say, you know, virtually all of the laws and the rules are put in with good intentions. Sometimes the implementation and, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, the way they're regulated isn't, uh, isn't the best. Mm-hmm. But, you know, look, we live in a democracy. And uh, uh, we have the ability uh, to, to change politicians if, if so desire. Yeah. And, you know, so I think, look, all of these things, I don't think there's any single rule out there that I'd say is, is, is going to lead to the demise of the industry. Yeah. Um, you know, look, there, there's th- certain things that are, uh, I'd say, uh, you know, particularly for Sabina that are more difficult is, is, is we look at carbon tax. Okay. Well, we operate in an area that we're not connected to any grid. We don't have the ability to use natural gas because there's no natural gas. Um, if we look at solar, well, it's dark four months of the year. If we <laughs> right. look at, uh, uh, at, uh, at at wind power, it, sure, it, it could it can work, um, but it's not always blowing with wind. And uh, at the end of the day, you still need diesel as backup. And if we look at capital, if you wanted to build that on top of it, which I'd love to, is yeah. is you're looking at another, you know, probably two hundred million dollars for Project Ours to be able to put supplemental wind. So I think that carb- carbon tax is 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 probably one that I would be the most critical, critical of yeah. in an area that we really don't have any choices. Now, again, sure, a lot of people aren't going to feel sorry for the mining company, but what about the the Inuit in Cambridge Bay? That every bit of their power is generated by diesel because there is no alternative that is, is that is economic today. Mm-hmm. Well, that carbon pricing tax is being passed on, and from a personal standpoint, you know, my last uh, 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 gas bill, the carbon tax was actually higher than the price of the gas delivered. And it's like, come on, what's wrong here? But so no, no. So can you? No, no. Look, this is what I want to talk about. I want to get that word out there, and it's it's uh, refreshing to hear somebody be critical because sometimes you know. CEOs don't want to be critical of their regulators or rules uh, that they have to adhere by because they either look like they're self-serving or maybe they don't want to be in the hot 
in a, in a hot seat with those regulators later on. And look, that's a very big topic is the whole carbon tax. Can you get, kind of dumb it down for the layman's uh, sort of layman's level? Like, wh- how does that impact Sabina today? Like, what is what does that carbon tax do to you? How does it work? Well, you know, if we take a look at at, at low fuel prices where we're today, it's probably less of an impact than it okay. was at uh, you know at, at hundred dollar a barrel uh, oil when it was when it was first brought in. Um, you know, it 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 can probably add five percent to our, our our total cost of generating power mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the cost for us to generate power is uh, is the number two cost to, to operate a mine in the north uh, second only to, to our labor cost yeah so you know it can have a meaningful impact and and if, if there was I, I understand the purpose is to drive people away from uh, uh, fossil fuels and look at alternative uh, sources of energy and there's a way that you can instead of driving to work uh, solo is there a way you can take transit and other like these are these are good things and I think that mm-hmm. we think we have to think of uh, as society but but it has to be in the right context of but the it environment. has to be in the right context and there's no yeah. carve-outs um, and I think the carve-outs for those look if there was a uh, a cost-effective technology that would work for for the harsh environment that we're in um, I would I would love to be able to embrace it but you know uh cost is you know a big part of uh, uh what we need to do particularly as a junior that every dollar that we have to uh, uh put into this project we either have to borrow at high rates because of yeah. the risk profile of our company or issue at equity at a discount to our, our net asset value so yeah. either way it's, it's very expensive money for us and and to be able to do those out of cash flow at a later date is certainly uh, much more uh, uh, amenable or, or, or palatable than 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 today. Yeah. Um, it, it, earlier on, we talked about the you talked about kind of the three different types of mining companies. So there's mm-hmm. there's explorers, mm-hmm. and then there's what did you describe your category? The developers. Developers, and then there's the majors. Uh-huh. So I thought maybe we could do all well, the producers. We'll call or, it or yeah. pr- producers. Yeah. And okay. then there's three. There's the juniors, mid tiers, and the majors in the producer category. There's three. So, sorry, were they the juniors, intermediates, and and majors in the producer category? Okay, so junior producer is, so what, is generally single asset producer, and generally I see. Yeah, you know, a junior generally that's kind of under the hundred and fifty thousand ounce per annum mid tier, mid tier kind of that one fifty to you know five hundred thousand to million ounces, and then okay. million ounce plus is really the majors. Okay, annual production. Would you? Uh, I don't know how this works exactly. Do 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 you envision taking? Sabina uh, from um, a uh, intermediate is uh, was what you called it, right? Yeah, to, I, think, to, I think we're with our production to, profile, we would be classified as an intermediate. Yeah, we, do you eventually see Sabina just being bought by a major producer, or would you actually take this company all the way to becoming a, produ- a junior producer yourselves? Oh, that's, that's that's what our our strategy is. Yeah, but you know, you have to have a strategy that looks at it from a value perspective. Right is today, um, if you look at our technical report and our study, um, we've only converted into reserves about 2.3 million ounces of 7.2 in our total in terms of global resource. Um, so it's uh, a, a about a third of our total resources. And today we trade at um, 0.5 times net asset value on that you know, on that third of our resources. We're in an M and A market, uh, merger and acquisition market. That there's there's a lot of you know there's no merger, uh, no premium mergers, or you know eighteen percent is a knock it out of the park premium, um, and there's a scarcity of assets. So to be able to say, look, we'd be happy at an eighteen percent premium to where we're trading today at a 0.5 times nav, 
you know, I, I can't say that any of our significant shareholders would, would be happy. Would with be that. happy with that, yeah. And so the other way to do it is until those valuations are more are, are more uh, uh, acceptable is build value the way that we build value is yeah. is, is build the mine keep, and just keep building, keep building. Now, yeah. you know, one of the things that uh, many of the junior producers, the single asset producers, uh, uh, have as a challenge is is where's that next mine coming from. You know, you've 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 emptied the gas tank to get that first one up and running. Yeah. Um, you know, if there's any challenges to operating uh, uh, it, uh, you know, uh, generally, uh, uh, you know, you're 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 it's a lack of capital. Yeah. Um, and finding that next one is 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 got to be twice as hard as finding that first one. Right. Well, we've got we've got two million ounces uh, in in all categories sitting up at George, which is 50 kilometers away, which is another part of this belt. That we haven't actually explored since I've been with this company. Okay. Um, so we. This are, is another pro- uh, another property asset or project within the Back River within District. The- so on this one right here. Okay. Uh, and so, and so that's, it says Back River District Scale Opportunity. You can see that the uh, the Goose Project, which is yes. where uh, the first mine will be built. Uh, that is a little over five million ounces in all categories, and and George, which is about fifty kilometers away, um, is uh, a million one point one million ounces and indicated another million ounces of inferred, so a total of about two million ounces at uh, around six grams, and we have not actively explored that or tried to increase the size of that since again I've been with this company. So again, that's our embedded uh, internal growth. Uh, that's our that's our second uh, uh, mine, but you know we keep finding new deposits within the the, the goose area. Um, and you know, hopefully, we don't have to turn to George uh, uh, anytime soon. I think, I think uh, certainly our, our near-term growth will be within uh, within the Goose Project. Okay, and then that port is uh, up north. What is Bath the name of the community? Or is that the name of your project? Uh, a project? That's actually the name of some of the mineral claims that the mineral uh, claims, okay. uh, that are that are just to the south of that. And is that your mineral claims yeah, as well? Those ones okay, there. gotcha. There, there's others in the area, but yeah. certainly the the only ones all, all of ours. Are of exposed iron formation. Uh-huh. You know, even between uh, uh, George and Goose, there are other people who have claims, but those uh, iron formations are buried, and, and it could be several hundred meters. So, right. you know, we're really sticking with you know the ones that we have the highest hope in, and uh, uh, yeah, of of being able to to explore and develop successfully. Yeah. Now your company's named Sabina Gold and Silver. We haven't talked about silver at all. Is still, silver a part of this equation at all, Bruce? Well, uh, originally, um, uh, well, I shouldn't say originally because the company's been around for a very, very, very long time. But um, the Hackett uh, uh, lead zinc silver uh, project was a big part of uh, uh, Sabina's earlier uh, uh, success, and that is uh, a, a very high-grade uh, silver-rich uh, polymetallic deposit. And that was actually sold to Extrata, uh, a major uh, base metal miner, which in turn was uh, bought by uh, Glencore. And what we have is a royalty, of the, which is for 22.5% of the first 190 million ounces of silver produced. And that is a, about equivalent to the resource on this property. Oh, wow. Um, so that's at no cost to us, and we get 12.5% of any silver production beyond that. So uh, certainly a, a, a big part is silver and um, we do have uh, significant exposure at, at no capital to us on, on the silver from from the Hackett River project. Wow, and, and, but that's not in production yet. No, it's not. And yeah. and and right now, uh, what's uh, happening with silver prices? I haven't looked at. Well, all. you know, we've gone from you know twelve to uh, you know you know sixteen, seventeen, eighteen okay. in, in, in so recent you... months. So certainly uh, much better. Yeah. Um, uh, Glencore has not made public any plans of of, of uh, for the project. 
And but I think it there's so few of these you know high grade uh, uh, polymetallic silver projects that uh, it's just a matter of time until it's developed. Mm. Do you have any strategic investors? Uh, we have two. You do? Who are they? Uh, we have Dundee Precious Metals, which okay. we actually acquired the project from. So they never. Oh. It wasn't. It was less so a, a strategic investment, uh, more so that we acquired it and, they, and they've stayed with the company and, and yeah. participated in many of the financings that we've done. Uh, but we brought in Zhaojin uh, uh, Mining, uh, which is uh, the fifth largest Chinese uh, gold uh, producer, and they own nine point nine percent of Sabina. Okay. And are they there to likely be involved more from a financing perspective, or look at the end of the day? Uh, I uh, that's what uh, I'm led to believe. Yeah. Um, look, I I don't think that they have the expertise to be able to operate in 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 Canada's uh, far north. Yeah. Um, but you know what they've said publicly is is they 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 love the deposit. Yeah. And they'd like to be able to be there to, to learn what it takes to take a project to, uh, from expiration through development into production. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Great. What is gold used for other than uh, jewelry, as we talked about buying jewelry for our wives? What else does it get used it, it, for? It, well, really, is it's, it's, it's backing currencies is the, mm-hmm. is the number one use. Um, when we talked uh, this morning, you made reference to something that I thought was fascinating because you're talking about how a lot of central banks and governments are buying gold again mm-hmm. but it wasn't too long ago that they we actually saw a lot of uh, banks were selling their gold and i think it's classically like they were selling at a low and then buying at a high terrible investors by the way i i i, I don't think i you know I, unfortunately <laughs> we all trust our our money with the central banks I know, um i know yeah, I, I don't do it by choice <laughs> so look i if we look at uh both russia and china yeah um they're buying. They're buying, and I, I think uh, it's it, there's been a number of articles that what they're trying to do is create a uh, gold-backed currency that would dethrone the U.S. Uh, dollar as the world currency. Yeah. Um, whether they can be successful or not, uh, who knows? But I don't know if they even need to do it, Bruce. I don't even need think they need to actually. I think the U.S. government's doing this on its own. I, I mean, I'm I know I'm probably talking to preaching the converted here, but. It, the amount of money being printed by the ECB, by Bank of Canada, which is rel- relatively in- inconsequential in the global th- world, but I mean, you look at the amount of money that's being printed right now in Canada is insane. Yeah, you can't print all this money and not have a consequence from it. You know what I mean? No, and uh, you know, today there's what a trillion dollars worth of gold held by the uh, the central banks of the world. Right. Um, it uh, again, one of the few uh, in uh, uh, currencies that you can't print. Um, and you know, gold has actually done what it should be in terms of uh, financial times like this time. Yeah, sure. Of, of economic uncertainty in terms of of high volatility, uh, of low interest rates, um, uh, and 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 potentially high inflation. Remember, in Canada, we before COVID, people seemed to forget that we were uh, essentially entering into a recession. Yes. Um, so, I think. Uh, we may be in a perfect storm in terms of uh, of uh, uh, the thesis for 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 investment in gold and gold equity. Yeah, well, I'm in, I'm I'm in agreement with you. I think that uh, the pain has not been felt yet. I've been very vocal about this. I think that the all these programs between the printing of money as well as these various programs that the government of government of Canada has um, uh, has has put out is really only kicking the can down the road. I think ultimately people have to accept the fact that there is some serious pain that's a result of this global pandemic. It was nobody's really nobody's fault in my view. It's been a lot of 
just bad things have happened. And you know, sometimes bad bad stuff happens. You just gotta take the pain and move on. And we haven't had to feel that yet. No, but I think so, uh, we're going to. I think it's gonna be coming. So, uh, which, uh, you know, for the, for the purpose, I mean, I don't wanna be, uh, uh, speak, uh, negatively but for a company like you that's a good thing because i do agree i do agree that when things go uh, deep south on the economic front and uh if, especially with the, the uncertainty around um these the social unrest as well that we're seeing uh gold gold will become something that i think a lot of people are going to go go towards so uh, but we'll see. So now you've got a bunch of, I'm going to wrap this up here for you, Bruce. Uh, you've got a bunch of money in the bank right now. What is the latest financing you did? Of, of, you said it was just over 60 million. If, yes. Okay. What's that money you're marked for? Uh, additional expiration. And, okay. and part of that is not only is we have um, been very successful in finding higher grade portions of this deposit that have been previously drilled, but not well understood. And uh, it, it's going to be some of that is going to be proving that thesis that we'll be able to deliver some of the higher grades uh, earlier in the mine life. And then uh, the balance of the expiration dollars is really going to be more uh, development dollars as infill drilling is, um, you know, some people have, have, have stated that, you know, we've done all this drilling and yet we haven't de uh, uh, presented a new resource. Well, I think people have to realize that in order even to a resource which isn't a feasibility that's 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 an inferred resources not measured can you can you just reserves. for a moment explain the difference bruce so people understand what you're talking about here well uh, very simply reserves are ones that have been drilled at a close enough spacing there's enough understanding that you can actually wrap an economic study around those and there's there's very rigid classifications on on how those can be done under under Canadian standards Na yeah. the national instrument 43101 is yeah. is the is the guidelines for mineral uh, resources and reserves uh, and resources are those that uh, aren't drilled to a, a, an ability that you can actually put an economic uh, like a feasibility around but there is some some certainty that uh, that they're there oh. and what uh, Sorry, guys. Uh, so what we will be doing uh, is infill drilling and we're gonna have to spend uh, about 28 million dollars in infill drilling just to bring these new discoveries into the resource classification which okay. again we can't do a new uh, 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 which won't uh, correlate to reserves but certainly enough to show that uh, there is significant uh, upside uh, in terms of mine life and and hopefully on some of these new areas in terms of grade um, we're going to continue to uh, build out some of the infrastructure um, it'll, uh, the first thing that we're going to be doing is extending that airstrip, as we talked about earlier, to be able to bring in heavier aircraft, yes. which is certainly more important now, kind of post COVID, it'll allow us to bring in larger aircraft from like places like Edmonton directly, rather than having to come through some of the smaller communities. Um, and also building the road network, building the pads, some of the equipment that we need to, uh, for production. Um, it's really bringing together a lot of those so we can actually make, uh, when we make a production decision, we can compress that, that, that timeline between that decision and, and first gold. Oh, great. Okay. And you mentioned that you're, uh, you're now in the process of finally getting camp set up. Um, yep. And, and it'll and, be another week and a half and, uh, and we'll be, uh, uh, moving into site. Great. Well, Bruce McLeod, uh, CEO of Sabina Gold and Silver, thanks so much for being on the show today. It was a really engaging conversation. Great story. Love it. And best of luck to you and your team uh, as, as the months unfold here. Thanks for hosting. Okay.